नमस्ते वेलकम टू द हिंदू पेरेंटिंग पॉडकास्ट पार्ट टू ऑफ द होली एपिसोड प्लीज ज्वाइन अस एस वी कंटिन्यू द फैसिनेटिंग डिस्कशन अबाउट द फेस्टिवल ऑफ होली विथ सम मोर स्टोरीज फ्रॉम नेहा जी फाउंडर ऑफ शक्तित्व एंड अ देवी उपासका so just to complete the story eventually even all of these attempts to you know kill prahlad fail uh, hiranyakashipu decides to take the matters into his own hands and he finds this unarmed child in a fit of rage he tries to strike a sword with him. so he you know the the child ducks and the sword hits a pillar mm-hmm. and from that pillar narasimha avatar appears and now narasimha avatar is the half man half animal so it's not either <laughs> the boon was either animal or man but <laughs> this avatar is half yeah. man half animal and and it, this is the most uh, you know interesting element of the story so this narasimha avatar uh, shri vishnu takes him to the uh, at the what we call dehli like the uh, the corner of the Sorry. house like where yeah the, the threshold of the house exactly yeah. he stands on the uh-huh. threshold of the house takes this demon puts him on his thigh Thai, so that he is yeah. not on the ground or on the sky. He's on on Sri Vishnu's th- thigh, and then he claws his heart out with his claws. So it's not a known weapon. Yeah. Right? And he does this at exactly at dusk when it is neither morning nor day nor night. Sandhya uh, kal. <laughs> yeah, Sandhya kal, like the mixing when it's neither the um, uh, day nor night. So he finds that exact combination that will defeat that, uh, you know, very ingenious wound. um and that's how you know hiranyakashipu is defeated um finally prahlad you know gets to witness his um you know ishta um in in the raw form and he is blessed and then prahlad takes over the throne and continues the uh you know lineage um of of shri kashyap uh, going forward so that holy ka moment you said the story so beautifully <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you Neha ji I love the part where the puzzle gets solved I can see how <laughs> we absolutely fascinated by this you know if parents can just tell their kids give give this puzzle you know even if your kid doesn't yeah. know the story and uh, try to solve this puzzle yeah right? but I neither think you know the, the moral inside, neither uh, neither um, during the day nor night I mean it's just too beautiful it's ingenious yeah absolutely and see the the moral of the story is right like you can first of all like you know i always wonder these people they put hundreds of years of sadhana uh, or many lifetimes of sadhana to get a boon from their ishta right like imagine you're sitting in uh, extreme penance like ravana's penance and then hiranyakashipu's penance is not ordinary this is like yeah. th- almost hundreds of years of extreme penance or even thousands of years by some accounts they sit and you ask for such a stupid thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> they i mean your ishta is standing in front of you and i should not be killed why yeah. is that to so think that shows the nature of uh, like who we call demon is not by birth or lineage you know these are kashyap rishi's sons like these are okay. the most exalted lineage you can find in all of bharatvarsha Mm-hmm. and that is evident because they have the capability to do this penance for uh, eons right like yeah. not, this is not ordinary feat in itself and and the lineage is definitely blessed so it's not by birth or or by previous you know uh, or you know whatever is the other ways of people understanding it it's not about descent it's not about not about race it's not about caste it's not about all of these things it's about what you do 
um yeah. with your abilities right what are yeah, your desires absolutely yeah that right? is for as a devi upasika when ma comes to me and i ask something so stupid you know, <laughs> i i think like you know i should be banned from sadhana <laughs> if somebody does does things like this but you know devtas are when they're happy they're happy they will give you what they want as long as it's within the uh, as long as it doesn't defy the laws of nature um and so you can find several stories where uh brahma is giving boons or ma is giving boons or or you know shiva is giving boons and these uh, depending on who is getting the boons people do different things yeah um, with, with these I'd like to i'd like to bring up one point here yeah. uh, so, so you live in the us yeah. and i know that uh, about uh, you know 3 years ago just pre covid there yeah. was this thing in us universities about holy against hindutva where holika was painted as a dalit woman and uh, you know uh, many people tried to um, spread this rumor i i i think it's a rumor in uh, colleges that uh, there's something very bad going on when holika is burnt because she is an oppressed woman and she's a dalit and so i know that a lot of indian children got swayed by this i'd like you to weigh in on this because uh, yeah, yeah this absolutely is- So actually, the exact incident you're talking about led me to write a two-part article on Holi on Shaktitva blog. Uh, the the part where I explain what Holi is and and the many colors of Holi uh, is one article, and then there is a su- second article called uh, "Let the Subaltern Speak," right? In which I kind of explore exactly this point. So first of all, like logically speaking, you know, um, a lot of these claims are absurd. uh to the point of you know ignorance like they they rely on the fact that a lot of people don't know about these stories and the legends or or the meanings behind what we do as a culture and that's part of colonialism you know the, dis- detaching us from our roots is definitely part of the colonial projects so that now that you know the urban audience is already detached very few know the story of holika or why we do this uh, you know you you can twist the argument in your favor so there are two main articles that led to this equality labs protest uh, that were challenged by led so basically there's equality labs organization cited two main articles in their write up for holi against hindutva uh, one of them uh, was from uh, pradnya vagnule which said reading caste in holi the burning of haulika a bahujan woman and the second one uh, is equality labs own article why do we say no to holi in both of them you know i i'm not going to critique the whole blog because it's, it's ridiculous uh, but you can see a very clear um, indication that this is nothing but hindu phobia so vagule herself defines that she is only all, only ever lived in cities all her lives right so the what i'm trying the reason i'm trying to fi- highlight that is because she has no in first person knowledge of these traditions right uh, yeah. whereas you know most of our families are just two generations ago we were living in villages um so yeah. that's number one now the this reading of bahujan woman of holika now holika's existence is comes from this story that i yeah. just told you in yeah, this story yeah. she is hiranyakashipu's <laughs> sister hiranyakashipu yeah. and hiranyaksha are very clearly kashyap rishi's sons Right, yeah. so by so Kashyap Rishi is like you know one of the Sapta Rishi, so obviously he is the ultra ultra Brahmin, uh, not even ordinary normal Shukla <laughs> Shukla or you know Pandey Brahmin. He is like the ultra Brahmin, like he has an entire Gotra named after him. Uh, 
um and he these are the first one like not first one but like he is like yeah the, the these two are sons from kashyap rishi so by caste essentially because it's a paternalistic uh, tradition it happens they have become brahmin and sirf holika is a sister so that that means she is a brahmin woman you know by legend uh, which is where yeah. she is mentioned now yeah. what the reality is uh, the, these people when they are mentioning these uh, instances of holika being uh, worshipped in tribal areas they are confusing holika from holi mata now okay. holi mata uh, now holi mata is indeed worshipped in many parts of the country in many many tribal traditions including my hometown now holi mata has nothing to do with holika what happens mm. is many of us uh, many of our tribes are traditionally uh, like the kula devi is a devi right like the kula devata is a devi and so mm. usually anything auspicious devi has to be worshiped right mm. so when you do that uh, and usually what the tradition goes that in specific instances for example if you are doing the gauri puja right a specific form of ma is being worshiped that's why it's called gauri mm-hmm. puja uh, yeah. so so the in the same way during holika mata a specific form of ma is being worshiped and a specific type of uh, worship is being done that ritual only happens around holi and that yeah. uh, includes your offering you know the same colors are offered new clothes are offered the the when the that uh, the han is done uh, that uh, bonfire is done a part of that bonfire's ashes are brought to the mata and so on so like and the prasad is nevedyam is first created so that's why we make gujia after the dahan and then gujia okay. is first offered to the god so if we were in the villages we would offer it to the kula devi Mm. um and then eventually it will be distributed so for that particular purpose a murti or or a uh, makeshift uh, clay idol is created um and and all of the village will gather around and offer uh the blessings over there like they will put the offerings in that on that clay idol so that mm. is that clay idol is called uh holika mata ha holi mata right uh, mm. so so now confusing holi mata with holika is silly because yeah. I, because the same people also do the bonfire hmm. okay right so hmm. why would they do the bonfire if you know if they were worshiping uh, holika later like then, then why would you celebrate her death uh, yeah. just just two yeah. minutes before right it, they are they are yeah. not related now and in other parts of india you can actually see that holi mata that makeshift uh, idol is also taken on a yatra like ganesh chaturthi Right? Okay. So, so they also the visarjan happens and so on. Like the same process, like you know, tip, which is typical for us. Like whenever we have a makeshift idol, like in Ganesh Chaturthi or in Durga Puja, ah, uh, once the the process is completed, it is done visarjan into the some form of water body. So that also mm. happens. So okay. you know, those processions will like chant Holi Mata Ki Jai or something like that, and that's what these urbanites who actually you know want to speak. for the subaltern without getting to know them without getting to live their lives or understanding their tradition and faith systems uh, this is how they confuse people mm. right so in this imagination because she is a goddess of the tribal people she becomes a tribal deity uh, because they have already confused it and they are not familiar with these ideas of you know how gauri mata is constructed like an on a makeshift thing and all of those you know nuances are not known and so they will do this confusion and then they will suddenly holika the daughter of 
uh, she becomes a dalit woman all of a sudden right and now and now, yeah. now nobody from the bahujan parts of india is coming to read this this english language article meant to be circulated correct. in usa to correct it right nobody is going to do that and so and the rest of us like we we hardly know anything about uh, why things are happening so we are not also correcting it so that's how you hmm. get to circulate these you know uh, false narratives and it was actually very offensive because targeting mm. holy like that and here is the thing you know if you are let's say even if i were to imagine this concept of brahmanical hinduism versus non brahmanical brahmanical tribal hinduism holy is the least brahmanical <laughs> all you know celebrations of hindus like you know if you mm. see the typical hallmarks of what is what how these people define brahmanism is at least a brahmin needs to be present no Like mm, usually, is, all some yeah. festivals you require a priest to come and and do some puja. Holy requires the presence of no priest, right? Mm. As I mentioned, in fact, it's a challenging of social social norms and mores. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, then the the tradition inquires like it requires no particular like you usually offer it to your own gods, your own deities, and a kule devi. Ah, uh, but it does not require any elaborate temple visit or anything like that. right so mm. how why would you know if this were to be confused check if we were to put it in these two arbitrary criteria of brahmanical versus non brahmanical this is very fundamentally indigenous uh, tribal and adivasi in, or, in origins mm. right so so the entire mm. basis of attacking a, an indigenous uh, authentic tribal festival um, which is like in fact one of the biggest festival for many tribes in india uh, mm-hmm. as a you know casteist thing and trying to disparage it this way and like uh, especially targeting american universities is insidious uh, to say mm-hmm. the least now are we saying that vedic traditions are not uninhibited they are not you know connected to mata or they are not connected to kuladevi no it's a beautiful yeah. spectrum right mm-hmm. how what happens now in a traditional let's say let's find a simple example in a traditional homa right if you are doing rudrapishikam in your home and you are the yajman and pandits have mm. come and they are conducting it for you uh, what happens right the starting is you do the uh, you will do the uh, cleaning of your hands you will remember shri vishnu for that right uh, then you will start by remembering your guru your ancestors your kula devi and mm. uh, shri ganesha right not not mm. i mixed up the order but basically this is the like start with shri ganesha then your kula devi then your ancestors your guru mm. this is the beginning of every homa every puja everywhere right now if you had uh, if you were in living in a place where you had uh, access to your kula devi's murti maybe you put it in on your temple or maybe you are living in a place where your kula devi temple is nearby and that's where you're conducting it when you are remembering them it will involved an offering to them immediately and this will be guided to you by the priest himself right so he is not there is no distinction between vedic gods and these gods right it's a beautiful spectrum one cannot exist without the other so the now whether you are reading it from the shastras or the puranas or you are telling folk stories it does not matter right mm-hmm. that's just the ritual uh, or how should i say levels of ritualism if you were to mm. do it at your home by yourself you probably don't know all the sanskrit verses so you do it in, in your mind right you remember yeah. the deity and you have uh, maybe you have a mantra or maybe you don't have a mantra maybe you have a chalisa for example in north india we have these um mm. 
avadhi verses right which are which mm. serve as the mantras so chalisas are collection of 40 verses or you have sometimes like you know these these uh, aratis for example uh, these songs that we have constructed for the uh, singing the legends of our gods um om jay jagdish hare being the most prominent yeah. one so we have okay. all of these different levels and ways of worship now some mm-hmm. people do it in a very elaborate way where sometimes you need a priest because it's it's actually too elaborate and it's not possible for so unless somebody is you know trained in that ritual for tens of years which is what often priests do it's hard for a normal householder to start doing it without training Um, and also it's not recommended to do it without training either so depending on the level you are doing for example in shivaratri that just passed most people will do it in their homes right if they have a, a lingam at home they will do a simple uh, abhishekam at home uh, if they have if they're going to a temple then they'll you know put money for a rudra abhishekam for the temple priest to conduct it uh, or sometimes people will arrange for a priest to come and do a homa at their home it's different mm-hmm. levels of the same festival all of them are valid all of them are common so neha ji you brought up this very very important point of uh, true t- two traditions coexisting harmoniously the universal story the pauranic story of uh, holika dahan the hiranyakashipu story mm-hmm. and also the holi mata kuladevi local traditions which are typically known as the desi and the margi traditions within sanatana dharma so the interesting thing is that there is really no conflict and this thing happens over and over again in our tradition right uh, with the festivals with customs dance music and so many things and i'd like to say here that uh, i think this is not a bug but a feature of sanatana dharma any uh, thoughts on this ah uh, thank you for that software engineering reference <laughs> and you are absolutely right um no so exactly right so i think you know sometimes i uh, i find myself browsing through an article that some colonial you know neo colonial indologist wrote and they seem so confused right if you read the research papers that um get published in indology journals they are just you know they they it's like it's impossible for them to parse uh the continuity of this tradition so sometimes they will be looking at you know let's say they'll go to a uh, a rural kuladevi mandir right and they'll see let's take for an extreme example let's say they'll see a bali ritual right and then a few like even in tamil nadu let's just take the example of tamil nadu um if you go to the rural villages there are still like some kuladevi kuladevata temples where bali happens you know now with the a uh, colonial government banning it and then our modern government continuing colonial traditions you know officially it's banned but still happens then you cross i think uh, uh, i think there is a temple in kerala also no the muttappan temple not just one where, not just one temple yeah, there are play, many many, uh, many, temples, many yeah a lot yeah. of places where you have to secretly do this because you know our own government has turned against our traditions um or you know some places where it's relatively open but it happens and then you cross a few you know kilometers and you come to the heart of you know say say chennai um and you go to a vaishnava temple or a shaiva temple like you know ayangar temple or a ayya temple and you're suddenly like oh, this is like very uh, organized you know we have you know a lot of uh, 
um, you know, learned gurus who have given like volumes and volumes of very detailed documentary, uh, like documented evidence of everything that they found. And, you know, somehow for these people who come from the West, it, it looks like these two traditions cannot coexist each other with each other. And the reason they think that is because they're bound with this Christian mentality where paganism, which was a pre-Christian uh, tradition of their lands, was considered or labeled as backward and, you know, not civilized by the Christians who came to dominate the space later on. So they see, uh, you know, nature worship as uncouth, uncivilized, or, you know, the thing that uneducated people do. And and this has also been indoctrinated to, to us in our uh, education, right? Because our education is also colonial. So every time, like you have, I'm sure you have read somewhere that, um, you know, even in our own books that the people, ancient people worshipped sun because they did not understand its power, right? And so the idea is that the only reason you worship something is because you don't understand it. And so it becomes, becomes a myth. And so therefore science becomes a way to dispelling that myth. And, you know, uh, Christianity brought us to the light. And so the all old gods lost the power. This is all very, very standard European Christian commentary. Uh, this is how they understand their own past and, and you know, their present, which is uh, Christian and then eventually post-Christian. So now they, they use that, that same... Onto exactly. Our exactly. So they project that on our system because for them, when they look at, uh, say, Kanchimatam, right, it looks very organized. It looks a little bit centralized. Uh, the the priests over there are learned. They talk in, you know, high philosophy um, and so on. And they can, you know, hold themselves up to any debate. They are, you know, uh, they're experts in science, maths, whatever you want uh, them to be. And so this is like, you know, high philosophy is is revered, revered as, you know, exalted culture, more civil. And so they see, you know, uh, reflections of their, you know, uh, Orthodox church in this. And then they mm. look, you know, a few villages down, they look at the common villager uh, who is, you know, just showing pure bhakti to the Devi. He is also following Tantra. Here is the thing, right? Even these temples, the Kula Devi temples are also established as Paragam Tantra. So these, these are still very much rituals that have been told to us, passed down generations of generations through sadhakas, through practical, practical knowledge, right? Uh, but because in in these the, to these external observers it does not appear connected, you know because high, you know unless you are completely disconnected and you're doing some high falutin philosophy you're not like you know learned enough so you have to talk in abstract suddenly when you translate that to actual rituals it becomes uh, you know old and and uh, childish and and uh, you know superstitious and whatnot so this yeah, dichotomy this from their own society they project on ours. And that's exactly what happens um, when they look at these traditions. So when they look at the Gram traditions, and here is the thing, Dharma clearly says there are many, many Acharams, right? There is Veda Achar and there is Lok Achar, right? And there is not, it, it is not like a hierarchy. It is not like well, Veda Achar is better than Lok Achar. Mm. Both are absolutely important. And it is the context that defines which you know, acharam has to be used and in, in which circumstance. 
um and so this is you know these all of these interconnectedness is only understood a lot of us like even you and i a lot of us understand uh, this implicitly because we've grown up in this tradition and you know one uh, basic requirement of indology is that if you've grown up in the tradition then you are not qualified to speak on it because that's yeah. the again the colonial lens right like if you're a brown person you can't possibly be objective enough to look at your tradition correctly of course white people can look at white people white culture correctly but brown people you know we have some racial uh, defect and that's why we can never be objective about our culture unless we prove it to them by proving our atheism first so <laughs> all of this you know this is a very clever uh, structure created so that their lens remains dominant so even when a brown person enters these uh you know these uh, academic um uh, institutions you have to prove that your way of thinking has been whitened enough um and that is why they are completely unable to understand these traditions and the beauty of this this continuity of this tradition right like tantra whether it's agam tantra or uh, dakshinachara tantra or whatever kind of tantra is learned knowledge it's practical learned knowledge like some um the uh, you know great upasaka did years and years and decades of sadhana found like a, a re- point where he could like, in fact um it is said that uh, there are many uh, tantric uh, upasakas who have reached a stage where they can access their past lives upasana also so all of the things that they learned in their past lives they can collect remember all of those memories right and then they have a bigger picture and then they try to uh, bring that bigger picture and they try to give you the rules of how to do that for yourself right like they can't just disseminate the secret you won't understand so you have to kind of just they can only show you a path that doing these things in this particular order through this method will lead you somewhere where you can see the truth for yourself yeah right? that's, uh, that's 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 so that's true. tantra yeah. that's tantra right so that's the uh, marg that's the path that you has that has been given to you now it may or may the tantra basically like distills all of this down to a process whereas the uh, vedanta and uh, other darshanas they are more focused on the philosophical end goal so there is a little bit more philosophy uh, associated with these other uh, paths but uh, and and less with tantra but that does not make you know these these local understanding that we have uh, learned over and built up over generations and generations um is less valuable right and that is exactly how every indigenous culture has it right there is there is a reason why north american um uh, indigenous people and uh, even africans they had so much importance to the elders right to the ancient ones the wisdom of the elders why was it valued it wasn't just a you know quality of age that that wisdom followed from generation to generation it was imparted by the ancestors to their future generations when the people felt ready no this uh, dichotomy uh, yeah. maybe you can um, analyze the visuals of holi using this dichotomy too right because uh, holi being so colorful and so visually appealing uh i i do know that a lot of photographers converge on uh, vrindavan just to take photographs of this spectacle and then publish it across the world 
So, uh, but but I think a lot of this dichotomy comes into play there also, and it has been commercialized quite a bit, is what I hear. Oh, so, absolutely. So you know, like the 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 dominant image in the mind of the West is uh, when you are civilized, when you are wise, you are not. Um, you you behave a certain way, right? Like you're all like you know how British were. You were all stuck up, and and you know you behave like you you have to act proper and whatever. Um, and so if you're not doing that, right? If you're literally just having fun, that's lack of civilization, right? Lack of civility. And we've learned that even in our minds, we have at some point integrated that. So if somebody is behaving like they're just very you know, uh, uh, dem- acting very demure and very, you know, quiet and not letting their emotions out. All of that is a mark of manners um, or, or civility. And every time you let your hair down and like if you're angry, you're yelling. If you're, you know, happy, you're laughing boldly. All of that is, is you know, lack of, you know, decorum. Um, so we've but learned those behaviors. Nehaji, we often see pictures from uh, Mathura and Vrindavan for uh, Holi. Yeah. Uh, so is this like the center where it all started? And what kind of celebrations are usually done in these places? Oh, actually, I mean, I don't know if it started there, but it's definitely a very important focal point of the Holi traditions in North India. And the part of the reason is because all of when you when you listen to uh, Shri Krishna's Raslila stories, Holi actually plays a very interesting part there. Like, in fact, it comes. The reference comes from his Balakand to to the time he is, you know, uh, doing the Ras Leela. Um, so, in fact, uh, because Krishna's birthplace and place where he grew up uh, are so central to the areas around Mathura, so Mathura, Vrindavan, Nandgaon, uh, and all of these, uh, they are very, you know, they celebrate the Krishna connection also. Uh, during those holy celebrations. So, uh, in fact, Vrindavan Holi is so very, very famous. In fact, if you just Google it, uh, most uh, you know the most of the Westerners are fascinated by the, this uh, this particular holy celebration. And I even know of people who try to visit Mathura specifically just to witness the holy. Um, and so, it's actually fairly elaborate. And one of the uh, this is actually worth mentioning. Vrindavan's holy lasts for seven days. Uh, unlike, wow. and, and just the color playing part. So like the playing part lasts seven days. Everywhere else we have one day of Holika Dahan, which is the bonfire ritual. And the next day is, is the playing colors part. But Vrindavan, yeah. the thing goes on for a week. Um, and the first holy in that day is called Lathmar holy. Right. And uh, translates to being beaten by a stick holy. <laughs> and there is there is actually a legend behind it. So what happened is they were, it's part of uh, Raslila stories of, of Shri Krishna. So Shri Krishna, who uh, hailed it from Nandagaon, he was visiting Radha uh, in Varsana, which is where she used to live. So he was visiting her uh, Radha and her friends in Varsana on holy and he teased the radha and the other gopis so much right that they got really annoyed and they started you know hitting him him and his friends with a stick and they chased him out of the city 
um so it's part of the whole like you know the ras leela the the play and he he used to be like a notorious prankster right so he would run away with the clothes and what not so he was you know teasing them and and uh, playing pranks on them a lot and so they got very annoyed and so they chased him out of the city so in sync with that legend now men from nandgaon will visit mm-hmm. balsana every year like you know being acting like their krishna stoli and then the Bar- uh, barsana women will ba- basically beat them up with lathis beat them with oh. <laughs> <laughs> happens to this day it happens yes. to this day exactly wow. that is that. so in fact now okay. this tradition has spread outside barsana also so in many places they okay. do this but that is okay. the that is the role play that's happening right so they are krishna's friends the men act, act like krishna's friends visiting the gopis and the women act like the women of barsana act like they are the gopis and so they basically you know reenact that scene okay um, and this especially happens outside the radharani temple uh in barsana like that's the uh, specific part and this is one of the most famous temples dedicated to radhama um in in india um okay. and then obviously you sing and dance and we you know we are very happy people we drink thandai and uh, all sorts of sweets are eaten and nuts and all of that uh, some fun stuff happens uh, but then one of the other days is phoolo wali holi where you play with flowers um then there is another day where the people play with mud um mm. it's not pleasant <laughs> what it happens um and then mm. the actual colors wala holi um and in okay. fact like uh, so the area that makes it four three more three four so more. i don't Ritma, remember all of them one is flowers one is uh, mud one mud. is uh, yeah one is and one is colors four and yeah. i think there are three more yeah i don't remember exactly okay uh, but, but these are very interesting yeah. very interesting <laughs> but but at the same time there is a lot of uh, uh, shock value or uh, um, you know some kind of an intrinsic value in all these visuals right oh, you do course. see international media uh, using yeah. a lot of the holy and then you know coming to something like the widows of vrindavan you see that every year the media uh, puts these uh, very nice colorful pictures which i believe are actually sold by the international media oh, they absolutely yeah yeah in fact it's it's big it's big money uh, like a right okay. picture can uh, the copyrights can be translated uh, throughout the world and it can actually make like quite a decent sum so photographers from around the world gather around and then the you know the, they will just take captionless photos um and then the caption is added by the uh, whoever is looking at the picture so actually the like you brought the brought up widows widows of vrindavan i actually have a twitter thread where i analyze this um ever since i joined twitter like this was 2009 i've been noticing these headlines right widows of vrindavan break taboo break tradition and celebrate holi now i actually did an analysis i just take this phrase widows of vrindavan play holi and i add append a year to it right and you can see these stories coming back from all the way up to 2012 so it's been 10 years and every year apparently those widows break tradition and celebrate holi and you know they break taboo and celebrate holi every year they will announce it as if it's a new thing so that just makes you question was that ever a taboo in the first place or is just a myth that media has created that they just like to break because it it's a catchy headline No so this is absolutely like it makes a lot of money and from you can find those articles from um, you know they get sent through those news agencies like ani and then they republished internationally 
it's big money right some of those photos um, can actually fetch you fetch you a very pretty penny especially like there's so many aerial shots of those of vrindavan holy too these days um a lot of them like so in fact if you go to uh, during holy time if you go to vrindavan uh, you'll see a flock of uh, international photographers uh, over there just trying to get those pictures um so absolutely concerns of uh, privacy i mean i'm just uh, wondering for a, the western world is so big on privacy but uh, is there uh, no compunction in uh, you know uh, preying on somebody's I, yeah, I I very much doubt that they get these contracts like the the privacy waivers signed. And exactly. The, the colors, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about the colors. Mm -hmm. so, so these colors, uh, there are some typical colors that are uh, used predominantly. I see most of the uh, people using a kind of a magenta color. So yes. so that pink is very common the most common probably is pink um and then yellow is very common um then nowadays so almost every color on the spectrum you can find you can find like light blue powder blues um and even uh, these days pastels have <laughs> come into fad uh, also yeah. organic colors are uh, appearing nowadays um so, this is interesting this is an interesting variation so initially i think we didn't need an organic color because because always all, all color was organic exactly flowers and herbs is what i hear and that's why yeah. there were specific bright colors that were made from the powder of certain dried flowers is that yes. right yes exactly so, so the yellow was actually a mix of turmeric uh, and marigold um and i don't yeah. remember the pink came also from a flower uh but these days so they get it's become a much brighter pink at least that's what my nani used to say uh mm. but um, yeah the definitely like some colors are more predominant although nowadays again most of it is made being manufactured in in factories so you get pretty much every color there is uh, yeah mm -hmm. there's so much of uh, talk about these being chemical colors and not very good for the skin and all how much truth is there in that or uh... honestly growing up i did have at least a yeah no no at least a, some uh, like at least for a couple of years there definitely was uh, some sort of adulterated color coming into the market that was harsh on the skin but these days mm -hmm. people are like too aware and especially depending on you know but here is the thing right you can't control what color gets puts on you <laughs> you can buy good yeah. colors but then yeah. if somebody else buys whatever colors then you are at the mercy yeah. of that person yeah but again like i think like cheaper colors as usual like you know you'll find some adulteration there uh, but mostly nowadays there are big companies just like the fireworks for diwali like the big companies dedicated to doing this so if you buy like those brands or if you make at home sometimes i've seen people starting to make themselves by grinding flowers um yeah. so those options are also there but you find mm -hmm. like very easy to find safe colors to be honest mm -hmm. okay Okay, Great, so now you you play with these colors. What do you do to take them off? <laughs> that is the uh, this mystery thing called ubtan. Yeah, I'm glad that you asked about removing the colors. Uh, so that's a good entire exercise in itself. So basically, uh, we make this very gooey paste made of all organic uh, elements found at home. So you take either besan, which is uh, ground chickpea flour, or you take wheat flour, uh, your regular atta. and you mix haldi in it um and you put like turmeric and you put oil and you put water now it should be a little bit more on the watery side because you want it to be sticky 
Uh, but the oil is there so that it removes well also. Like when it comes off, all of it should come off. Uh, but if you have less oil, then it won't stick long enough. So the point is that you stick. Uh, and so also used during the wedding ceremonies, by the way, after haldi. So when you do the mm -hmm. haldi ceremony, it's actually haldi and oil ceremony. So one round is done with haldi, one round is done with oil, and then ubtan is applied. Uh, and so and the haldi is etc is taken off by the ubtan. And the idea is that obviously it's very good for your skin because you know putting turmeric is is very very uh, nourishing for the skin. Uh, but also that consistency of the ubtan it brings out all the impurities of the skin. Uh, so in this case, that being colors. So colors come off very nicely with, with Upton for the most part, unless you're, I'm talking about those, my naughty cousins who actually pour uh, that nasty chemical thing on my head. Those ones don't come out easily, but the powder ones very easily. Like with Upton, you know, with between Upton and shower, you're fully covered. Like you won't even, people won't even realize that you played holy. Uh, okay, but so that, that, that I was yeah. just going to ask about that, you know, does it go in one day or it takes a few days to, Get rid of these colors. And Again, do you feel odd actually walking around with rem remnants of the color, you know, uh, the next powder. day it's not all gone. Call it a post-holy glow, you know, you can always take <laughs> that on people. 100% there is a post-holy glow uh, because you're so tired and you're so happy and you're so well-fed <laughs> by the end of this all that, you know, there's a post-holy glow. But uh, but jokes aside, honestly, if you're playing only with powder or even with like, you know, diluted colors mixed in water, all of it comes out in one day for the most part. Unless you've okay. been pranked uh, with the thing on your head, uh, then yeah. it will take, while, take a while. Uh, but I actually remember one of my best friends in school. Uh, she had like, you know, uh, normal brown hair, but it's a slightly lighter color uh, than, than the complete black hair like in that we usually have okay. so her hair was slightly slightly brownish and one time she came back after playing holy and i kid you not when she stood in the sunlight her hair looked pink <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> this is like we could we were not allowed to color our hair because we were young children back then yeah. so i was like you got like a free fund ka hair color <laughs> <laughs> you know, no yeah, salon yeah, yeah. costs involved. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but so some things like that happen. Again, it completely depends on like the kind of holy you play and you know the the type of people that you know come to your place to play with you. Uh, but for the most part, like powder color, one hundred percent comes off with Upton, and it's also very good for your skin. So any kind of this harsh chemical or whatever, right? Like if you do this Upton treatment afterwards. Uh, it also kind of takes care of that. Like, and uh, as I said, like, you know, early on, you have to be careful and put oil before you go out. Mm. And that way, before it'll be less, yeah. uh, it'll stay, your skin will stain less um, yeah. if if you have oil on your skin. Yeah, um, yeah so for the most part, it comes out. This is uh, insider information. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what a rollicking time we've had, you know. <laughs> uh, but I think now, uh, I think you should uh, speak about your foundation, Nehaji. Uh, what prompted you to start the foundation? What do you do? What are your projects? Please. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, that's a Shaktitva Foundation is a labor of love. Uh, started around 2018, um, had to slow it down a couple for the last couple of years because of COVID and, and you know, bereavement and family. Uh, but essentially, the original idea behind it, it's, it's a decolonial indigenous feminist organization. And what I mean by that, and this, this decoloniality and indigeneity, we, we uh, approach from a Hindu perspective. So what essentially that means is um, this actually started uh, around the same time when Shalini ji, you and I met for the first time. This was like the aftermath of Sabrimala. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we it, it, I'm sure like all three of us were part of it in some way or the other. Uh, but one thing that became very obvious in the aftermath or, or during the Sabrimala protest for all of us Hindu women was that somehow our voice was being erased. Right. This mm-hmm. entire war was being fought in our name. Right. Mm-hmm. By up suddenly it was Hindus versus women, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the Hindu women were the least heard of all people. Yeah. Uh, if you remember, right? like we were not allowed on, on TV debates. We were not, our opinions were considered, you know, fringe by some exact, some, some miracle, like, you know, majority of women were suddenly fringe. Anybody mm-hmm. who basically did not agree with the, five feminists of Delhi uh, was French, yeah. right? So that that erasure is what led to the frustration that eventually led to the inspiration uh, from Ma and calling this Shaktitva Foundation. So the idea was that, you know, our voices need to have a place and not just the voice of a Hindu woman in India, but also this, uh, the immigrant Hindu woman in growing up in America, right? Or living in America. Um, and the, the same thing, you know, because what happens is if we don't speak up, somebody else takes the mic and starts speaking for us, right? Whether we are the subaltern, whether we are an unrepresented group, if, if people don't speak up for their own groups, they, their, their names are misused and, and you know, uh, activists uh, kind of take up that mantle of speaking on behalf of us, even if that is not the majority opinion. Or in, even like, forget the majority opinion, if, even if it is not even a minority opinion, then this will happen. Uh, and so we wanted to kind of set up a space where we can bring forth um, the lived experiences of a Hindu woman uh, from the point of view of what we just did, right? Like, we, we were talking about Holi from the lived experience um, yeah. of, of a person who has participated in it. Um, yes. And not just that, it's not just uh, isolated to my personal experience, but also I try to kind of dive into um, the, when we do the research, if you see a lot of people actually write for us, the, the uh, articles and the uh, work that we do focuses on bringing forth the original, authentic, indigenous meaning behind the things. And the reason is India and, and by extension, the South Asian activism circles um, is full of people who almost are kind of like the people who have been left behind by the colonialists, right? It's almost that they wanted to be taken with them. You know, why did you leave us behind sort of frustration mm. uh, that you see in these activists? And so they look at, Every time they sort of create this, uh, you know, unnecessary rift in the society, it's pro- because they're looking at things from a colonial lens. Whether it is they're getting angry at Sambrimala's tradition or it, it's not a concern for women that led to the 
creation of that that controversy right it was that you know it is a colonial view we must so yeah. that the colonial white man saviorism has appointed these brown saviors and so they're now going to save hinduism from hindus essentially that's yeah. what's happening so they're taking up that that colonial mantle of reform uh, and they're imposing all of these ideas on us in order to get some name and fame and they become those these heroes of uh, who saved the women uh, from oppressive hinduism and so on so whether it's you know sabrimala uh, question whether it is the jalikattu again no concern for actual animals um, or anything like that whether it's the elephant controversy or whether it's in north india the kavadiya controversy now they'll say these are rowdy men in kavadiya is the same men become rowdy uh, 10 minutes later when farm laws happen the same men who were actually doing kavadiya 10 minutes before these are the you know oppressed category of farmers mm-hmm. uh, so there mm-hmm. is no rhyme or reason to it um so exactly that you know the the point was that you know we wanted to create a space where hindu women could uh you know find their voice uh and essentially take up that uh you know narrative and and clear it up from their side so we uh, do a whole host of things there's uh one is a very important aspect is research driven articles like this one on holi i've done another one on rakshabandhan um okay. and there's many more that are coming not just on festivals we also do on, on general issues uh and so on and there is the other aspect of on the ground activism uh where we sort of try to help uh groups so for example we did a workshop with uh bhutani hindu refugees who are living in america especially the kids um and we did a workshop there about dharma and specifically with the girls uh about menstruation because menstruation is uh like the menstruation um re- menstrual restrictions are very strictly followed in nepali and bhutani communities um and that becomes a very uh, important propaganda point for missionaries to try to convert these kids um mm-hmm. so we wanted to present the honest truth of why these rituals exist like why are these menstrual restrictions uh at all present in the culture and what are the significance not prescribing them or you know or or denying mm. them just just presenting the truth of it after that it's up mm. to you um mm. like as as is always the case in dharma um and mm. similarly we also did a project uh for to focus on um the domestic violence survivors uh, indian origin domestic violence survivors uh, in america um that so we're trying to sort of create a space where we can dispel the fake issues and focus on the real issues um and essentially you know move forward um with that mindset so is so, this is this an initiative for... only uh, driven only by you or is uh, are you a team of a few people Uh, no we are a it? team of uh, we're a team of a few people uh, we have few directors and after that there is an advisory board um, so the, the details can be found there are also volunteers that work at different levels uh, some of yeah. them are for example interested in conducting those workshops that that i spoke about in their areas for a specific group uh, so we sort of arm them with the content and we help them we'll help train those volunteers for those spaces there's also like a several other projects that are in the works just covid kind of you know through a wrench and all of them um, mm. but um, but uh, we're trying to sort of bring it up again hopefully this year you should see a lot more action sure this sounds very empowering and well such a misused word but uh, <laughs> for lack of a better word uh, empowering our own uh, women you know 
so we'll actually i'll actually end with a quote i ended up somehow like it it uh, dawned on me while i was sitting in sadhana you know i said you know hindu women are embodiments of shakti and you do not empower shakti you bow before it so great <laughs> so so that's why the name is shaktitva uh which is the essence of being shakti now this is not to be construed with this modern new age idea of you know i am princess i am goddess type <laughs> you know yeah. the the wrong notions no we are talking about like a very sacred uh channeling of the divine energy uh that can happen when you are uh, you know when you are really devoted to uh your your gods and and your faith um and and to your culture uh, and the indigeneity of it all like it's not it, these these terms almost see have become like negative terms honestly in the in the western space but for you know as as an indigenous person it's all the same it's a spectrum and these words are not disconnected at all neha ji yeah. i'm looking at your uh, website and there is uh, a scheme there is uh, uh, something called the gayatri grants is that still operational is that uh, something that can be used to encourage young people to write for you Oh absolutely yes um so gayatri grants are not just even for writing uh even if there was a proposal that uh, like that somebody wants to take up like of a like a more elaborate research project uh towards anything um uh, you know towards something that brings together that aligns with the mission uh, of shaktitva uh, we are more than happy to sort of sponsor that activity because research itself uh you know is expensive and you know so i we we want to encourage through this uh, through this grant system we want to encourage uh people to apply for uh you know proposals and and come up with ideas because as i said like it's very difficult for one person to or or a few people to cover the breadth of this issue so if there is even if there's something very simple as you'll notice that there is a tradition that is unexplored um and it aligns with our mission and you want to research it you know please submit a grant to us a grant proposal to us the template is provided on the website um so you just have to fill that template up and send us a proposal and we'll evaluate it and hopefully like we can come up with a collaboration uh, can you tell us the name of the website for all the listeners we will also be providing links to the website uh, on our transcript but can you just uh, mention the name please yeah it's shaktitva.org s h a k t i shakti and then twa shaktitwa.org great yeah so i think we've had a, a one hell of a ride with you neha ji it's been absolutely uh, exhilarating i would say and uh, i think this episode will not stay at 35 40 minutes but that's okay but i i think even our listeners will find it extremely uh, engaging and uh, beautiful to so i think i i'm absolutely uh, floored by your quote i would like you to end once more with the quote that you just mentioned and then we'll call it wraps absolutely so the uh, the way we mention it is that hindu women are embodiments of shakti you do not empower shakti you bow before it and with that Profound. i think we come to the end of this uh, uh this edition of our podcast and we will connect with our listeners in a fortnight's time thank you thank you neha ji thank you very much for spending so much time with us and uh, giving us one grand experience you know?
of Poland. Thank you so much and thank you Rekha and uh, we will meet with our listeners soon. Namaste.